there are those who say that we must speak in tongues or else we are not saved. We have churches like that in our area. If you're confronted with that, I want you to remember 1 Corinthians 12. Let's go there together. 1 Corinthians 12, you can compare two verses to easily answer that false teaching and false accusation that you must speak in tongues in order to be saved. Who here has heard that before or had somebody put that on you? Okay, I see about 10, maybe 15 hands. All right, so how do we refute that from the Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is the chapter in Corinthians that deals with the gifts. And what you want to do is you want to look at verse 13. Now Paul is talking to these Corinthian believers, he's instructing them. This is one of the earliest epistles in the Bible. And he's instructing them concerning the use of gifts, the purpose of them. And he says this to all of the Corinthian believers. And, well, let's start in verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So there's that one body teaching. For by one Spirit... Are we all baptized into one body? Now, Paul throws himself into that group. He said to the believers in Corinth, he called them saints in the introduction. He said, we are all by one spirit baptized into the body of Christ. That's spirit baptism. That's not water. There's no water in the chapter. Every time... Uh, some people read that word baptism, they think water, and it's not always the case. This is spirit baptism, there's a difference. And when you get saved, you are placed into, immersed into, the body. We've studied that this morning. You're, You're put in different places with different operations and so on. You might be the foot or the hand. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now, Paul is talking to his readers, and he's calling them believers. And he said, we have all been baptized. We're not waiting for a baptism of the Spirit to be baptized into Christ. You're already there if you're saved spiritually, all right? So we're all baptized into the body when we get saved, verse 30. And then he says of these... Have all the gifts of healing? What's the implied answer in verse 30? No, we don't, we don't all have the gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret, have the gift of interpreting tongues? No. It's very clear from the Bible that not everyone in that first century church had the gift of tongues. Paul said, I wish that you all spoke with tongues. Because he could. He said, I wish that you all, meaning that they didn't all. All right? So all of these people, see the all in verse 30? It's the same as the all in verse 12. All of them were in, in verse 13, were in the body of Christ, but not all of them 
could speak with tongues. Is that clear? No twisting of Scripture here. Just the plain truth, the naked truth of Scripture. Now, folks, if you're in the body of Christ, you're saved. Does that make sense? So this nonsense that unless you speak with tongues, you're saved, that's a heresy. Yeah, and it's and it works. So it's just not biblical to say that, yet there are churches which do that. Now, I'm not going to name any names in this case, okay? But if you're stuck under that burden, and somebody is telling you to pray for the gift of tongues, laying their hand on your forehead, I've been there. I've been there. Down on my knees with some preacher, some word of faith preacher with his hand on my forehead, Shaking my head and I'm thinking, okay, any minute I'm going to start doing it because it's what the Bible says and it's what I have to do to get saved. I've been there. Okay? And I wanted all that God had for me. But what I didn't know back then because I was just a baby uh, Christian and I didn't know the Bible, I didn't know that that was a false teaching. What that preacher was insinuating to all of us is we weren't really saved and he wouldn't count us as a convert until we spoke in tongues. That was a ministry to soldiers off the base of Fort Bragg, which has got another name now, but in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. That's a heresy, folks. That's another gospel. And that's a false teacher. And you should avoid it. You should avoid it. The, the, uh, the sign gift, the tongues, that's an apostolic sign, and it's given to Israel. But Charismatics will go to this chapter here, chapter 12, to prove that they still have the apostolic gifts. And we're going to do a study of that tonight. And um, you have a list of gifts here in this chapter, beginning uh, at verse 8. Notice the, the list there. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues. Those were spoken languages. Those were real languages. The Bible teaches that these tongues were were spoken languages that this person who who had the gift, they never learned that language, but all of a sudden they had this miraculous ability to speak another language that they'd never learned. Diverse kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. Somebody who didn't know that language had the ability to be able to interpret what was said so that everybody could be edified what was said. But all these worketh that one and the safe same self self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Did you notice the last gift that was mentioned in that list? The last gift was tongues. Now, if it just happened one time, you would think, well, maybe Paul didn't really mean anything by the order of the gifts that he gave. Maybe it was just happenstance, but every time that the gifts are listed, tongues are always last. Now that's significant. Look in verse 28. You'll see it again. 
For God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. The apostles, the prophets, those were gifts, but they were gifted men, you see. Same with pastors and teachers. But he starts with apostles, prophets, teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. It's last, you see. In that case, not only that, but if you look at the list in Ephesians, if you'd come with me to Ephesians chapter 4. This was the apostolic pattern when listing things in their writings. They listed them by importance. First, highest importance, the preeminence was given first. Like when listing the gifts of gifted men given to the church, the apostles were listed first. They were the foundation of course, Christ is the cornerstone. But then prophets after the apostles. And the very last and least important and least preeminent of the gifts would be pastors and teachers. That was the pattern. That's the way that they wrote. And uh, we see it in every case. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You see it there. Apostles were first and of first importance in establishing the church. Then look at Romans. So those were gifts there, but they're gifted men. Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. These are the three places in the Bible where you find the list of gifts. In all, if you count them all up, there are 24. And in every case, you see the same pattern of listing them in importance. And the tongues are always the last Romans chapter 12, we studied it this morning, but I I want you to see it one more time. And verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministering, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness in every case that tongues are given back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 they're given last and in that list right there notice what's up at the top prophecy the the apostolic gift was no longer given the apostles were already there in Romans 12 and there were no more apostles when James died he was not replaced like Judas was with Matthias. James was not replaced because there would be no more apostles, those foundational apostles, to replace them. And so now the top is prophecy, still going in order, okay? So back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's two lists in Corinthians. Tongues are at the end. Now, look at this. This will confirm what I'm saying to you because I've got to show you everything with Scripture. You should ask me, you got, a, you got a verse for that? Well, I'm showing you several, showing you how they put things in order of importance. Tongues are at the end. Notice in chapter 12, verse uh, 29. Okay, now he's going to keep on listing things. Are all apostles? Notice that's first. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Verse 30. Do all speak with tongues? Again, at the end. Do all interpret? But 
covet earnestly the best gifts, the ones at the top. The best gifts, you see. There are the, the best and the least. Tongues were the least gift of the first century early church. That's a biblical statement. Tongues were the least gift. If you covet tongues, you are disobeying the commandment of the Apostle Paul who said, covet earnestly the best gifts. If you covet the least gift, you are breaking his commandment. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you, they are the commandments of the Lord. So if you're coveting the least gift, what are you doing breaking the commandments of the Lord? What would you be doing coveting that or praying for that or asking for that? You see, you're guilty. You're breaking the commandments. So much for the word of faith people who teach that they do not sin. They teach that they've reached sinless perfection. It's a part of the holiness movement. Such as... Joyce Meyer, who said, I am not a sinner, I do not sin. And she went on in a great rant, defying the Apostle John, who said, if any man says that he has no sin, he is a liar. 1 John chapter 1. And she said, I have no sin, and no doubt she coveted this gift and taught others to covet it too, the least of the gifts. What would you be doing praying for that gift? If you don't have it, breaking the Apostle Paul's commandment. But you know what? You know what I learned down in Pensacola, that Bible Institute? I was taught that where there is Bible rejection, such as rejecting what I just said, coveting the least of gifts, where there is Bible rejection, there will be counterfeit fruits. And gifts, that is, people who say that they've reached a state of sinless perfection, have had the second work of grace, and have been baptized with the Spirit, and no longer sin, that that's a counterfeit fruit, and counterfeit gifts, a la tongues. And they lied. And there will be a forced piety, they said. Now, I wondered where they got that from. Meaning that it's not a true holiness for being a holy, holiness movement. They talk all sweet and smooth and syrupy, and they sound religious when you listen to them talk. And if you ever get to be next to one of them and, and, uh, and hear them pray or something like that, or if you ever talk to them, they're so pious, and it's such a forced thing, and there's no reality to it. I'm going to prove that to you. I'm not slandering anyone tonight, but it's something that you'll run into, Okay. So in every one of those lists, as I said, you have a level of importance. Tongues are the least. And Paul said there's a more excellent way in chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, what am I? I'm nothing. Well, I'm going to tell you about some of these leaders, just a few, just to give you an example of what I'm talking about. And they have false fruit, false gifts, and a forced piety.
Okay? Now listen, I want to give you some information. This will be a little bit lengthy, but I think you'll find it interesting. Okay? Charles Parham. He lived 1873 to 1929. He's a key figure in the charismatic movement. He's called by many the father of modern American Pentecostalism. He was a fraud. He was a scammer. But he's revered as one of the great generals of the faith. He claimed to have a device that could turn rocks into gold. He and a buddy of his. And he conned people out of their money. And they'd send in money saying, if you send me in money, I got this device that can turn rocks into gold. And people did it by the scores. He had another con where he said, I know where the the ark is. The ark of the covenant. I know where it is. We're going to take a team on an expedition. We're going to Israel. We're going to go find it. I just need funds. I need you to send in your money. People sent in their money by the scores. The people in his congregation gave him money. And he went over there. And of course, he never found it. That was Indiana Jones that found it, right? He never found it. He didn't know where it was. It was a scam. He was a charlatan. Now that's the funny part. Here's the not so funny part. He was arrested for sodomy back when they used to arrest people for stuff like that. This guy, this guy was wicked. He had a school, and his school was known for speaking in tongues. And it was called the Bethel School of the Bible. Does that sound familiar? Bethel Church, Redding, California. It's the same people. Not the same man, but the same teaching, the same line. They would look back on a man like this as a great figure, a general of the faith. They're also charlatans. That's why we don't use Bethel music in this church. No one will be allowed to sing a Bethel song or any one of the artists that are on their label. We don't use their music. It's a bad, bad source. This guy was wicked. In 1900, Parham traveled to Chicago to study the ministry of John Alexander Dowie, the father of healing evangelism. He wanted to see Dowie's uh, newly organized Zion City. And in, this, in this, this place that they had, it was a cult really, doctors, drugs, and devils were not allowed. And they, they preached against anyone going to the doctor. If you did that, you didn't have any faith. He, Dowie believed that he was right at the cusp, right at the forefront of the end times apostolic miracle movement. They knew that these things were phased out, but they believed that God was going to bring them back. These healing gifts and sign gifts and, and uh, tongues and so on. And a great latter rain, great move of the Spirit in the end times. This man Dowie was sued by two women for fraud. When he founded that city of Zion, he forbid anyone to seek medical help from a doctor. People died under his ministry. Children died under his ministry. He should have been arrested for manslaughter. He had healing rooms, just like they do at the Bethel Church out there in California. He was filthy rich, while his followers and the people in his church were poor. He took their money. And he lived 
in luxury. He was a murderer. You know that? He would say things like, it's always God's will for you to be healed. Always. And if you are not healed, if you are not physically well, it's because of sin. Some hidden sin in your life or a lack of faith. So if it's always God's will for you to be healed and you're not physically well, well, whose problem is it? It's your problem. You must not have enough faith. There must be some gross hidden sin in your life. Or worse, you might not even be saved. You see? And that's how they operate. It's a culture of fear. It's not biblical. And it's wicked. He died of a massive stroke. What a joke. What a joke. But it's teaching like that, that my... My uncle's wife learned, and she was like a teacher in our family church, that she learned and she taught to my dad, and, and it's teaching like that that my mom and dad's pastor followed and put on people that caused the death of my sister Amy that I've told you about. So this is deeply personal. They didn't call for a doctor when my sister Amy was sick because they believed it would be a lack of faith. Instead, they called for the preacher. And when she died, you know what he told him? You didn't have enough faith. That's what he told him. That makes me angry. That was the beginning of the division in our family. That was the beginning of the breakup of my mom and my dad. This isn't a game. This is serious. You got to mark people like this and avoid them. Don't follow them or anybody else that follows them. You know? This, this Parham, he was the guy with the Bethel Bible College. He was convinced that Christ was going to return. There's be a latter rain, an outpouring of signs and wonders. He believed in tongue speaking. He believed that was evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just like I said. He further believed that tongues are the real earthly languages that would enable missionaries to preach, just like I said. That's what they believed. Now, I'll give him credit. That's biblical. That's theologically accurate. That's what tongues are. In the New Testament, real languages. So he thought, uh, we have this gift and I can just send people out to mission fields. And he did. So he would send people out to India, China, Japan, you know, and, and he would say, when you get there, God will give you this gift. And of course, they're praying for it. They're coveting it. The least of all gifts. And uh, you'll be able to speak in that language. So he urged his students to seek this experience and with a uh, hand on one of his Bible school students named Agnes Osmond, January 1st, 1901, she allegedly began to speak in Chinese, later in Bohemian, and was unable to speak in English for three days after this experience. She spoke while in a trance. That's a Topeka State Journal, January 9th, 1901. And Parham said that the language professors and other linguists Linguistical educated people confirmed that the tongues the students were speaking were languages, but this has never been confirmed. He's a liar. Now just keep listening. You see a false piety and a forced piety. Newspaper reporters of the day described the phenomenon merely as gibberish. That's why I entitled this lesson uh, Biblical Tongues or Gibberish. 
One of the students, S.J. Riggins, of that school, he left the school claiming that the others were merely speaking gibberish. He told the Topeka Daily Capital, quote, I believe the whole of them are crazy. I never saw anything like it. I do not believe their senseless jargon means anything. I'm trying to be an earnest Christian, January 6, 1901. Now, consider this description of Parham of his own students. What they were doing the day after this, this woman, Osmond, began her tongue speaking. Quote, the next day I went downtown and upon my return from all the students, I found all the students sitting on the floor talking in unknown tongues, no two talking the same language, and no one understanding his or her neighbor's speech. Now remember, he believes these are known languages. Robert M. Anderson, in his book, Vision of the Disinherited, the making of American Pentecostalism, wrote this. A man named S.C. Todd of the Bible Missionary Society decided to investigate the truth of these claims. So he went to see 18 of these missionaries sent out of this Bethel School of the Bible. And he went to Japan, he went to China, he went to India to track them down and to see if what they had was the real deal. Can any of them speak in the native language? And you know what he found? We know what he found. In every case, they could not speak in the language of the people. It was a complete failure. When they came back, they had to admit that they must have misunderstood. It didn't work. And so after that... They changed their teaching. When I say they, I mean American Pentecostals. Changed their teaching. It's not known languages that God is giving in this latter rain outpouring of the Spirit, these miraculous gifts that we're giving. God is just giving an unknown heavenly language. So they start to teach it's just a heavenly language. And now today they will teach, like Perry Stone will teach, it's a prayer language. Not the Bible doctrine of tongues that was real. In the first century. You see? That's contrary to the doctrines. Like Paul said, that you've been taught. They're causing divisions. Mark them. Avoid them. Right? Okay. Now, what does the Bible say about all of that? Well, this confusion is not of God. Let's look at a few verses and then we'll close. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. I'll give a, try to give an opportunity for questions. But 1 Corinthians 14, 33. It's confusion, folks. And I'm just sticking to tongues. That's all I wanted to talk about tonight. I really didn't want to get into that faith healing and all that. Do I believe that God does the miraculous today? Absolutely. I've told you that since I got here. That hasn't changed In almost five years. I believe God does miraculous things that we cannot explain in the natural. I believe it. I believe sometimes people are healed. I believe uh, God just does things that you just... Why wouldn't he? He's God. I just don't believe that people still have the apostolic sign gifts given to the apostles for the Jews. Um. I've, I've known churches going go to hospitals and having round-the-clock prayer meetings in the waiting rooms of hospitals for people that were sick. The doctor said, there's nothing else we can do. 
And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and that person was healed and the doctors couldn't understand it. I believe that. Absolutely. So don't get me wrong, but I don't believe in this nonsense today, this word faith movement. It's dangerous. You ought to avoid it. And these, these poor people are under the, under the impression that since they haven't spoken in tongues, or maybe they did and they just kind of fibbed a little bit, you know, and they know in their heart of hearts that that wasn't real. And, and they're thinking, maybe I'm not even saved. They live in bondage and in fear. Perfect love casteth out fear, the Apostle John said. Or worse yet, you have families like mine. Your daughter died because you don't have enough faith. You must have some hidden sin in your life. What a wicked thing. How terrible. It's kind of comforting to learn that it happened to many people in the past, at least, and to understand where it comes from now. But, you know, the... uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. You know, when he found all his students on the floor, all talking in unknown tongues, no one talking the same language, no one understanding what his neighbor was saying, they're probably rolling around laughing, probably a big immodest ordeal. What was that? That was confusion. That wasn't biblical. That's not the way the Holy Spirit operates, and it wasn't right. Paul said there's, there's regulations on using the tongues. Not that they had the real thing anyhow, but God's not the author of confusion. Now I wonder who is. God's the author of peace. Okay. The Bible says that tongues are not to be used unless they are interpreted. And even then, the gift is only to be exercised by one or maybe two speakers at a time. Look in the same chapter in verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned and unbelievers, will they not say that they are mad? But if all prophesy, you see, that's a better gift. Tongues are the least. If all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. It's profitable, you see. Paul said, I'd I'd rather speak five words in my understanding, in a language that you can understand, and just talk plain. Because then I would profit you, I would edify you, than to speak in all these tongues, Paul said. Thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So Paul gives regulations. In verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most three. And that by course... And let one interpret. In other words, one person stands up, speaks in tongues. Praise God, they've been given the gift to speak in tongues. God's going to send them to be a missionary to that that, uh, language. Or else there's somebody in the midst that that speaks in that language. And now they can hear and understand. But when that happens, it has to be in course. There has to be another one to stand up to interpret. If you don't have an interpreter, sit down. It's not time to exercise that gift. A course. You see, it's like a course of strings... On a mandolin, you have four courses of strings. Each one is two strings. So you have four sets of two strings. That's a course. So one stands up to speak in tongues, one interprets. One speaks in tongues, another interprets. And that's the the rule. Not everybody all flopping around on the ground, gibbering. And then fourth, or further, women are not to speak. All right? What does that mean? All right, let's, let's confront this verse. All right, you ready? All right, don't throw anything at me. 
verse 34, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak. Now, does that mean that women are not allowed to say a thing in church? No, in the context, it's talking about tongues. Remember, it's so important to study the context. It's not permitted for women to speak in tongues in the church. So much for this woman here, Agnes Osman, or Amy Simple McPherson, or any other woman who wants to defy the scriptures and do something contrary to the doctrine that Paul set down. It's not biblical. A woman is not permitted to speak in tongues in the church. A woman absolutely can give a testimony in church. A woman absolutely can stand up and say amen or well glory or hallelujah or praise the Lord or anything like that. Women are permitted, the woman's permitted to give a prayer request in a church. Just not to speak in tongues and not to preach. You know, or to have the authority over men with the scripture like I'm doing right now. Women are not permitted to do that or speak in tongues in the church. So they're breaking all the rules of the Bible, and that's been the pattern on down through history. Now let's wrap it up, try to put a bow on it, and uh, call it a day. What are the gifts such as tongues and, and healings and things like that? What are they for? They're sign gifts to Israel. So in the same chapter, chapter 14, verse 22, what was the purpose of this? Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. You see that? Not to them that believe, they're not for believers, but they're for them that believe not. That's what a tongue is for, to confirm that this is a genuine work of the Holy Spirit during the apostolic age. In other words, when somebody that was unbelieving saw that, well, there's no denying it. This is miraculous, and it would cause them to believe. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, not for unbelievers, but for them which believe. It's for the church. You see, that's a greater gift. But these tongues are for the unbelieving. So why would a bunch of Christians be getting together wanting to show off their tongues in front of each other? To show off. Yeah, I gave away, I gave away the word. To show off. And that's what they were doing in Corinth. Na 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 boo boo. I got a gift that you don't have. I'm superior to you. You say people act like that? Come on. You know they do. You live longer than I have, most of you. Yeah. So in Corinth, you had a metropolis. You had people from all over. Like if you're in New York today, imagine if you had the gift of tongues in New York. You could go reach the Koreans, you could go reach the Filipinos, you could go reach the Chinese, you know. So imagine a church getting together like they do, but since English is the end times one world language, when they get together in a church in New York, you have people from all around the world, all in that one church. But uh, here, yeah, that was, that was I, is that, I don't know if that's sufficient for an answer, but that's it. That's the reason. And so they could stand up, speak in, in a tongue, somebody else there can interpret it, and then you might have somebody afterwards saying, I can't believe that. They, they, did they learn that language? Did they grow up in, you know, somewhere else in Syria or whatever, Macedonia? No, no, they, they've been lived here all, they, they're from Galilee. It's just a, just a country fisherman. Where do you learn that language from? It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And that person now being able to speak that tongue could go out with the gospel 
to all those people speaking that language and speak the wonderful works of God, preach the gospel to them. But it's for unbelievers, and it's a sign. Now, don't miss that it said sign, because that's important. What is a sign gift, then? There are sign gifts, and there are non-sign gifts. What's a sign for? Chapter 1, verse 22, and we'll stop here. Like I said, I've been saying this ever since I got here, too. You could almost call what I'm saying tonight a hobby horse, because you've heard me kind of hit on it multiple times since I've been here, but it's personal to me. But it's also, it's necessary. And we covered tongues in our Sunday morning service, or we covered gifts, rather. And so since we did, I was led to teach on this tonight, you know, and and uh, so it's it's fitting in with the uh, program of our pulpit ministry. But what are what are the sign gifts for? Chapter one, verse twenty-two. For the Jews require a sign. Study the word "sign" in the Bible. You'll find out what it what it means. It's the sign gifts. The Jews require it. In other words, a Jew would not believe unless. What was going on was confirmed to actually be of God, and if they saw a sign, a miracle, they would believe. They would believe. So it was for unbelievers, it was for unbelieving Jews, and it, it was operational during the apostolic ministry. When the apostles died out, so did the sign gifts. That's the official standing of this church. And that's just clear as can be in the Bible. Sign gifts were for the Jews. When the apostles died out, sign gifts died with them. But unbelieving Gentiles, they they believe because they've heard the gospel. Paul said to the Jews, and I'm, I'm done, but he said, I've tried to tell you the truth. I'm just, you know, paraphrasing. I'm trying to tell you, try to tell you, try to tell you. You keep rejecting it. I turn to the Gentiles and they will believe, is what Paul said. And at the end of his ministry, he didn't have his sign gifts anymore. He couldn't heal him. He couldn't heal Timothy. Couldn't heal Titus. So, or Philemon couldn't heal him. And, uh, that's our standing on tongues. We're cessationists. We believe they're not operational anymore. I sure wish that they were. But just like those 18 missionaries in Japan, China, and India, they were all found out to be frauds. They didn't have the real thing. Now, do I hate charismatics? No. But I'm angry with nuts like this who started all this. They're liars. But I'm friends with charismatics. Some of them are in my family. <laughs> You know, and I want them to be delivered from that bondage. So I hope I delivered that tonight in the right spirit. And I hope that if you've been deceived by any of that, that you'd simply study the word of God and take God at his word and be delivered. The, the spirit of God is a free spirit, the Bible says. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, not bondage. God's not the author of confusion. And if you're coveting a gift that is the least of gifts, you're breaking God's commandments and you are guilty of sin. Why would you covet the least gift? Why would you covet a gift that's not operational? Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the truth. I thank you for what you've given us tonight. Father, um, I pray uh, for anyone that we may know that, 
Lord, I, I, I don't say that everything that they believe is wrong. I don't even say that they're not saved. I think they're Christians, many of them. But they've been, uh, they've been deceived sometimes. And, and Lord, there's, there's many things that we can learn from our Christian, uh, our charismatic brothers and sisters, our charismatic friends. But, but I thank you for this truth, and I pray that the truth would prevail and that there would be liberty in the Spirit for these that have been deceived in these things and that they would be brought to a simple faith, just taking God at his word, that they'd grow in grace and in the knowledge of the truth. And Lord, help us to be strong in faith. Help us to be strong believing that you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever, that you could still work wonders in our midst, but not sign gifts. And uh, not, not uh, sign or miracle uh, healing uh, ministers. Lord, uh, pray that you'd uh, give us understanding in all things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. That's all tonight.